As you watch this teaching, please subscribe, like, and comment so more people can see this message. Welcome to Home Group. My name is Rick Renner, and we're so glad you've joined us. And the us is Denise Renner and Maxine Miasnikov. Hey, guys, welcome to Home Group. Well, thank you, Rick and Home Group. Welcome to you. We're so excited about being with you this week and everything that we're going to talk about. And I want to say, Jesus said that where two or more of us are gathered together in is, his name, he's there. He's there. And his presence is here right now. Amen. Amen. Maxime, hi. Hi. Hello, friends. I'm so happy to be here. And we've been waiting for you. But the most important thing is that Jesus has been waiting for you. Maxime, you had a big event happen in your family this weekend. Yeah, we got a new dog. <laughs> what my, you got a cocker spaniel. Yeah, my son has been asking and asking, asking and asking. Congratulations. Yeah, we were excited. And he is the happiest kid in the world. <laughs> How old is Mete? Seven. He's turning eight this week, and it was his birthday his gift. Birthday. Well, that is wonderful. Denise, we need to give him a birthday gift. But we're really glad that you're with us. And I want to tell you that something really exciting happened to me yesterday. Joel came back from the United States from a trip. He went there with his wife, Olia, and look what they brought me. Unlikely. Denise, we finally have the real deal. And I have to say, I'm quite shocked because it's a little bit bigger than I anticipated. I think I've described everything in this book except the color of my grandmother's wallpaper. <laughs> it's all in this book. It is amazing. And this morning, Joe, Denise, I've already read 129 pages. Even though I wrote it, I'm going through it just to see, okay, did I do good? Did I really cover everything? You know, this is really, it's an amazing story. And it's not just an autobiography. Honey, this book has so much teaching in it. A lot of teaching. And if you want to read a book, a story, a true, this is a true story. By the way, we have more than 1,500 pages of transcripts of people that we interviewed to make sure we didn't embellish, that we really told it the way that it was. So we collected the testimony of school teachers, Sunday school teachers, friends, childhood friends, people in the ministry. 1,500 pages of transcripts. And it's all woven into this amazing story called Unlikely, Our Faithful Journey to the Ends of the Earth. And Denise, there's 90 pages of photographs. <laughs> 90 pages of photographs. Look at this. I mean, it is amazing. It's got the Russian Revolution. And in the back of it, I cover so many things that most Westerners are not familiar with that I thought, you know what, we need a glossary because a lot of people won't know what these things are, like perestroika, Pashkov Palace, Plato, Politburo, these are words that people won't know. They're pages and pages of the glossary. My sister said, Rick, I'd buy that book for the glossary. The glossary is worth the whole price for that book. And the glossary just tells you, it's just an educational book. It is educational. Do you want to say anything about it, Denise? <coughs> well... I think it's a masterpiece. That's what I think. You do? <laughs> I do. Wow. Thank you, Sister Renner. Uh, there's, it's an excellent work. So much time, so much thought, uh, energy, money put into this book to tell the story, but not just to tell the story, 
but as Rick said, the teaching, but to present it in an excellent way. My sister said it is like Forrest Gump. She said, you tell history, politics, church, your testimony. She said, it's like reading the story of Forrest Gump, except Rick, it's your story. It's our story. And if you're a partner, it's your story. Because your giving has helped us do everything that we have done. Amen. Amen. Isn't that amazing? Anyway, if you haven't ordered yours, please order it. I'm pretty excited to have my own. And right now this week in the regular program, we're doing a series called What to Do When You're Being Bombarded. Please don't miss this week's programs. Every program begins with me in St. Petersburg, Russia, describing the bombardment or the siege that came against St. Petersburg in World War II. Maxine, that siege was horrible, wasn't it? Absolutely. More than three million people perished, if you count everybody that perished. And at the very top of the siege, the height of the siege, they were cremating about 8,800 people a day. That's how many people were dying. But the people of St. Petersburg would not surrender. What a picture of being heroic, and just refusing to give in. And when you're under attack, you have to make a decision. You're going to maintain your territory. And that's what this series is about. And it comes with a study guide. And we're also offering you right now my book. If you don't already have it, please get it called Dress to Kill. The full title is You Don't Have to Take It Anymore Because You Are Dressed to Kill. Amen. Amen. But hey, let's open our Bibles to Second. Timothy chapter 1. Are you ready? Yes. And today I want to deal with the question, what triggers an attack? And when you come to 2 Timothy chapter 1, the Apostle Paul is under attack. And what has happened to him simply is bizarre. And sometimes when attacks occur, they really are bizarre. Well, what happened to him? Well, he was imprisoned in the city of Rome, and he was not arrested for being a Christian. He was arrested for being an arsonist. Most people don't know that. But Nero, who was the emperor, wanted to build a big house called the Golden Palace. And the reason it was called the Golden Palace is because the exterior of it was to be covered with mother of pearl. By the way, this palace was 300 acres. 300 acres! The entire exterior was to be covered with mother of pearl and gold. It was iridescent, and it was gold, so it was called the Golden Palace. But the Roman Senate would not give him permission to build it because it was located in one of Rome's most important historic districts. So the rumor was that he ordered his servants to start a fire, and they started a fire in the Circus Maximus. It spread from there into other parts of Rome until finally nearly all of Rome had been wasted by this fire. And when the fire was finished, wow, there was a place where he could build his house. So the Senate figured that Nero did this. And when they brought him to the Senate to try him for this fire, he stood in front of them and said, how could you think that I would do something so dastardly? I love the city of Rome. I know who burned it down. It wasn't me. I can tell you who did it. And they said, who? He said, these Christians, we should have listened to them. You've heard them. They're standing on our streets preaching that one day a big judgment is coming with fire that's going to try the earth. He said, we should have paid more attention to what they were saying because they were telling us 
they were going to burn down the city of Rome. And Christians were charged with being arsonists. And that explains why Christians were burned at the stake. Because in Rome, you were killed according to your crime. So if you were a thief, your hand was cut off. If you were a murderer, you were killed however you murdered. If you were an arsonist, then you were burned. And that's why Christians were burned primarily, because they were accused of being arsonists. And they had a list of people that they believed were the worst offenders, and the Apostle Paul's name was put on the list. Now he's sitting in a prison in the city of Rome, not charged as a Christian, but charged as an arsonist. And this was the first official governmental persecution. You say, what? Yeah, that's right. There had been a lot of religious persecution, but this was the first official governmental persecution, and it started in the year 64 after the great fire of Rome. So now Paul is in prison, and he writes a letter, and he says to Timothy, he's talking about the gospel. And then when you get to verse 11, he says, Whereunto, unto this wonderful, glorious gospel, he says, I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles. And then he adds, for the which cause, dietauto, and because of this exactly, I am suffering these things. Which means the devil was after his calling. Paul says, I'm appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. I'm making progress. We're really getting somewhere with the gospel. And for this cause, for the which cause I am suffering these things. And we find that very often when you're making progress, that is when an attack comes. Right when you are on the edge of a breakthrough, or maybe you're already experiencing a breakthrough, bam, something bizarre takes place that completely takes you off guard and by surprise you would have never anticipated it. And my friends, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm trying to help you and prepare you because if you know how the devil operates, then these things don't take you off guard. And through the years, Denise and I have learned on the basis of, of experience in the Bible that if we're having a great breakthrough in our lives, that's a moment when we need to really be vigilant because that usually is when the devil tries to attack. And if you have come under attack, it may be a signal that you're on the brink of a great breakthrough in your life and the enemy is trying to stop you. And I want to give you another example. Let's go to 2 Corinthians. Are you ready? An amazing verse in 2 Corinthians, a verse that is greatly misconstrued, but let's look at it. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and I want you to see what it says. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul is talking about an attack that he came under. You know what? It's not, it's, yeah, it's chapter 12. Chapter 12, verse 7. He says, Unless I should be exalted above measure, through the abundance of revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Well, Denise, we grew up in a denomination that taught us that so Paul would not be prideful and arrogant, God gave him some kind of a thorn in the flesh. Maybe you've heard that. I was told all kinds of things. For example, I was told that he had a problem with his eyes, that he had runny eyes, he had eye problems. Uh, I was told that he was hunchbacked. 
I was told that he had club feet. It's amazing how many things people have made up about the Apostle Paul's appearance. None of it is in the Bible. But I was told all of that. And people said, yes, God gave him a thorn in the flesh. The Bible says he was given a thorn in the flesh. Well, just because it was given doesn't mean it was given by God. And in fact, the word given could be translated, there was assigned to me a thorn in the flesh. And then he calls it the messenger of Satan. He doesn't say it's from God. He says it was from Satan. And he says it was because of the abundance of revelations. And the Greek word here is hooper ryo. It describes something unbelievable, first rate, first class, above and beyond, something that gives you incredible influence. And really, if you look at this, not with religious eyes, but you just read what he said, he was actually saying, because of the influence that I had, because of the first rate, first class, phenomenal realms of revelation that I was breaking into, there was assigned to me a messenger of Satan, a thorn in the flesh. The devil wanted to stop him. Wasn't God? And in fact, the word thorn, the Greek word, is the very word which was used to describe a stake on which you put the head of your enemy. It was the equivalent to saying, the devil is so upset with the influence that I've gained and the gospel advancements that I'm making that the devil wants my head on a stake. Now, Denise, that is a totally different take on that verse than you and I heard when we were growing up. Definitely, because I heard the same things you heard. I heard that he had something wrong with his eye, and then I definitely heard that he was a hunchback. So I had this picture. It's terrible. It's awful. Of the Apostle Paul, very, very short and hunched over. With weepy eyes and club feet. I mean, like a monster. The hunchback of Notre Dame. That's kind of what I, I thought mean, of the Apostle Paul. How ridiculous. That is not in the Bible at all. It actually means, <clears throat> unless I should be too highly exalted, have too much influence, make too many advancements because of the abundance of the revelations that I was receiving. He was breaking into new realms. Mm. It's just amazing. He says, there was given to me or assigned to me a thorn in the flesh. The devil wants my head on a stake. And then he says, the messenger of who? Satan. This was not from God. He says clearly it was the messenger of Satan. So, Rick, the devil is afraid of when we start knowing Jesus better, when we start experiencing more of him, and when we start getting bolder, when we start saying, the Bible says I'm going to lay my hands on the sick and they'll recover. Okay, that's what I'm going to do. When we start doing what the Bible says because we believe it with our heart, he wants to put the brakes on that. The devil wants to stop it. And in fact, it says the messenger of Satan, that's what the King James Version, the Greek can be translated from Satan. This was from Satan. And the word messenger, Maxim, you know, is the Greek word angelos. It's one that is dispatched. The devil sent somebody or something to hinder him, or Paul says, to buffet. And the word buffet, the Greek word kolophidzo, which means to beat with the fist, to take down, he says, the devil is trying to take me down. He's trying to distract me. He's trying to hinder me. Why? <laughs> he says, lest I should be exalted above measure. And people religiously say, God gave him this thorn so he just wouldn't be prideful. No, lest I should have too much influence and keep making advancements. 
Mm. That's really what it's about. And if you look at the verse in that light, it agrees with the New Testament. That agrees with the New Testament. And guess who it was that was the messenger of Satan? You can find out in the next verses. You don't even have to really wonder about it. It's all right here. It says in verse 8, For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And the Lord said unto me, well, Grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So Paul says three times, I have asked God to remove this buffeting, this problem from my life, this messenger of Satan from me. And every time the Lord has said, I cannot remove it, but I'll give you grace to deal with it. What was the problem? It was people. People were being used by the devil. That's what was buffeting him. Look at his story. Legalizers, Judaizers, false brethren following him, hassling him, giving him troubles all the time. Here Paul is trying to break into new realms and people are trying to pull him down. And he said, oh, three times I've asked God to remove these problem people from my life. Well, that's a prayer that God can't answer. Because even if God removes these problem people, the devil will send another group. He'll send another group and another group and another group. So God said, hey, my strength is made perfect in weakness. I can't remove all the problem people, but I can give you the power that you can deal with it. Denise? Well, I love the last part that, the, that therefore I must gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmity that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So when the devil is beating on us and saying, oh, you're nothing, you'll never make it, you're weak, you're not as good as that person, you're not as equipped, you're not as intelligent, you're, you're not this, you're not that, we can say, Lord, I glory in my infirmity. I, I glory in my weakness because you're made strong in my weakness. That's like spitting in the devil's face. Right? One translation says God's power shows up best when people are weak. And that is the truth. It's amazing when you feel weak and suddenly you are divinely energized. Yes. But the point is, all of these attacks that he was experiencing, which were rather bizarre, they were all specifically designed to stop him. They were triggered because he was on the edge of victory or was having victory. And very often we come under bombardment when something good is happening in our life. And we're not trying to scare you. We're just trying to prepare you so that you'll know. If you know this is how the devil works, then when you're having a victory, you say to your wife or you say to your partners, we need to be very diligent. This is when the devil would like to attack. We need to pray in tongues. We need to build our faith. We need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit so that we can get around the landmines that the devil might try to set for us so we can be aware. Like Peter said, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, and he really is on the prowl when people are having victories. This has been good tonight. Hey, let us know how to pray for you. Call us or send us an email, and be sure to avail yourself to all the materials on our website. And we'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed that teaching, please like, subscribe, and comment so more people can see it.